Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. As always, I am your host, Darius Cook, and if you're new here, here's how we do things. I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen and you enjoy. For today's episode, we're going to be breaking down the Netflix's hit series, Money Heist Part 1. I know what you're thinking, I'm the last person to hop on this hype train. I'm super late to the party here, I know, but... Better late than never, right? Countless people have told me to check out Money Heist, and I'm very happy that I did. Today, we're just going to be breaking down the season one, also known as part one. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to get into it. Right before we roll the intro, a little bit of housekeeping. At the day that you're listening to this, I have a few great episodes planned for the rest of the week. Uh, on the 23rd, I'll be posting my episode for Hawkeye, the the Marvel series on Disney+. Plus. The last episode's coming out, so I'll be dropping my full review of the season when that when that drops. And I'm also going to be dropping right before Christmas Eve. So the morning of Christmas Eve, you could check your stock and you'll see a brand new Christmas special edition episode where I'll be revisiting my favorite Christmas movie from when I was a kid. Spoiler alert, it's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. So if you saw that, uh, maybe hop on that episode, get some nostalgia hit towards you. But for now, let's go ahead and roll the intro, and we are going to be breaking down Money Heist Part 1. Let's go. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. Alright, so Money Heist Season 1. The synopsis for this show is a criminal mastermind who goes by The Professor has a plan to pull off the biggest heist in recorded history to print billions of euros in the Royal Mint of Spain. To help him carry out the ambitious plan, he recruits eight people with certain abilities who have nothing to lose. The group of thieves takes hostages to aid in their negotiations with the authorities who strategize to come up with a way to capture The Professor. As more time passes, the robbers prepare to show down with the police. Now, coming in at 13 episodes, this is a really long watch. This is just the part one. And 13 episodes, each an hour a pop. This show is not an easy one to get through, just in terms of hours, hours per minute. That being said, I was surprised at how entertained I was throughout the whole time. As the name would suggest, this is a heist genre series, which... In my experience, it's really easy to get heist wrong. The storytelling that happens in a heist often is that you're not getting all the information or you don't even know where the story is really going. You just get uh, threaded along and you get crumbs of information as you go. As a viewer, I don't usually like that storytelling. I find it not very engaging to have no idea what's going on or no ability to guess how things are going to go and just you know get those crumbs of information at a time. And that's certainly happening in this series, but for some reason, it's working. <laughs> uh, better than any heist genre I've really consumed. There's there's a bit of magic here, and it might, be, it might come down to the performance of the actors that keeps you so engaged with the narrative that I don't need to know what's going to happen uh, or be able to predict what's going to happen along the road. I am just here for it the entire time. So I, that'll be my first praise of the show is that as far as a heist genre series goes, this one does it better than any any I've seen, really. So the show kicks off right away at the beginning of the heist. Like, literally, you're getting dropped in at the very beginning of them actually starting the heist. And throughout the first episode, the first few episodes, really, you're getting a lot of shots back and forth to the planning stage of the heist. 
and uh, simultaneously as they're just, you know, actually pulling off the initial stages of this heist. It's an interesting narrative strategy to constantly cut back and forth from the present to the background time. Certainly a different approach that could have taken to the series is the whole season one being the setup of the heist. You know, you're getting to know these characters, watch them get closer together and and learn everything about the heist and then see them pull it off. It's interesting that they chose this cut strategy of switching back and forth and it does really work i i again i would be very critical of this typically this isn't a strategy i would typically like but it really works in terms of the narrative and i think it's overall due to the execution of the characters and the cast that is playing the characters that they're so likable so quickly and you understand what their characters are and what roles they serve so fast after seeing them that you don't need all of that background information at first to to see why their dynamic works or to get the emotional stakes between them. Of course, when they do cut back to them in those pivotal moments, it it's very helpful and it does it does add a lot of weight to the situation, but you you don't need it coming into it and that's why they're able to pull off the strategy, I think. Before I really start breaking down the characters and the plots, one other thing I really wanted to mention was how much this show brings tension to the fourfold. It's one of the defining characteristics, in my opinion. It does a lot of things that set it apart on its in its own right. However, the the slow tension building scenes increase seemingly with each episode. So by the time you get to the end of the season, you're you're getting a host of scenes, mainly from the perspective of the professor, that just builds tension so much that like I literally had to look away. Like I had to take breaks watching the series because I felt my heart rate increasing so much. Uh, that's something that could get played out, and there are moments where it feels like it's a little cheap and they're doing it a bit much. But overall, they deliver so many masterful moments of building that tension that it gets a great grade, in my opinion. And it's just one of the more impressive parts of the series that it's able to consistently do. So for the rest of this review, I plan on speaking about specific characters and their plots throughout the entire series. If I were to do this episode by episode, I probably would have a three-hour episode and I'm not about that here on the Darius Show. So this is going to be your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the series, I don't know what you're doing. I guess you're living under a rock like I was up until this point. But if you need a recommendation, you should absolutely watch this show. And I suggest watching it in Spanish. The, the delivery of all the writing in this show, it's a very dramatic show. And they're doing a lot of weighty things. And to get that in the native, uh, in the native language that is Spanish for this series, I think that it does add a lot of emotion to it. The first couple episodes I watched in English and then I made the switch over and it's definitely worth it. Just like this show is. You'll fall in love with a lot of these characters and yeah, definitely give the show a watch. Come back and listen to the review. But anyway, spoiler warning, let's go. So breaking down these characters, I'm going to start with our actual heist crew, of course, because that's who we get introduced to first by to the audience. Now, each of these characters are named after a different city. This is to keep their anonymity, essentially, and they, that way they can talk to each other while performing the heist in front of the hostages and everything, and that way they don't know their names. The first one I wanted to start with is Nairobi. She's a really cool character, and she is introduced at first as... W- my impression of her when we first get introduced to this character is that she's going to be a chaotic character. Uh, I thought that she would just be all over the place, Every time we see her, especially in the flashbacks, she has a lot of energy and she's very loud. She's a little bit unpredictable. She's really fun, but she's just all over the place. 
Now, when it comes time to actually do the heist, she's actually perhaps the most dedicated member to pulling off the plan. We don't see her bending the rules, really. We don't see her getting caught up on the sideline. She's just dedicated to get done what she needs to get done. And that's not something I can say for every other character. Each character has moments of of where they're falling apart or they're overstressed or they're making ridiculous calls or just getting emotionally involved. But we don't see that for Nairobi. We see her being a great motivator to the hostages when they're actually convincing the hostages to do work for them. We see her being like a great manager, really. Like she's motivating everyone around her. She's keeping the energy up. She's keeping the productivity up. And when we see other members of the heist start to fall apart and be a bit of loose cannons, she's the one who has a sharp focus. And she's kind of, you know, she's not fixing the situation necessarily, but she clearly can see what's what needs to happen. And, and she keeps her head on her shoulders. She also ends up emerging as kind of the heart of the series or let's say the guiding moral compass. Like I said, a lot of the heist members end up really losing it a little bit and she's the only one who can always keep her eye on the prize and understand what is still a reasonable choice in terms of morality and just for productivity towards the plan. So again, she she probably had the most character growth throughout the series, uh, at least season one. Uh, just starting off as a character who didn't seem like she would be very impactful or important Again, she ends up turning in a performance that she ends up being, you know, one of the most the most characters with their head on their shoulders. And that that is certainly high praise for her when you compare it to the other characters here. All right. Next character is Moscow. And Moscow is the way he brings to the team is he's like the explosives expert. And he his experience is basically breaking and entering. He can melt vaults and dig tunnels underground and do and do different explosives and stuff like that. And he comes from a lifetime of crime, essentially. He's definitely served time, and his outlook on life for him and his son, uh, his he has a son that's also involved in the heist named Denver, but his outlook on his life for him and his son is just that they, they're they not made to succeed. They're, they're criminals, you know? They're always going to be just getting by or always trying to find out a new plan. And he he's very cynical at times. And you see that, especially in the first, let's say, first half of the episodes that get turned in for this first part, that he's he's very cynical, he's very down on his luck. And there's even a moment where we see him almost turn himself in and really ruin the whole plan. But the other side to his character is, you know, he is a father to Denver. He's kind of he kind of acts as a father for the whole team. He's not he doesn't do a lot to affect the plot, especially after that first half. He just isn't a major player. But he's always there as like a comforting source for a lot of our characters. When when they break down, he's there to put his hand on your shoulder and kind of empathize with you a little bit. He he again he isn't very he isn't uh, affecting the plot in many ways. I hope that they increase his character more in the next season because I think he he really ends up falling to the background. But his presence as a father figure to everyone in the group does certainly cement itself, and you'll see that presence throughout it. Next character is Denver. Denver, Denver, Denver. This is certainly one of the more interesting characters. Much like Nairobi, the character that we get by the end of the season is such a different character than I expected coming into it. Uh, when we get introduced to him, he's basically a hothead. He, he's he got a lot of energy. He's, he's very excited to do crime, essentially. You know, as soon as I saw him, I thought this guy is going to be the reason that the plan does not go according to plan or this guy's definitely going to shoot somebody. 
Um, he's just loud. He's got a big smile on his face, and he's got a lot of energy and a lot of a lot of zest. He's not smart. He's not very smart, even though he's a very emotional boy. He's he's one of those uh, hard knocks kind of Jersey boys who come across really tough and hard, but really are just a big softy on the inside. And we see those layers uh, fall apart for him throughout the series. The big plot for him that we get is it comes in about episode three or four, and Berlin orders him to kill a hostage. The hostage character that he's ordered to kill is actually one that we get a lot more attention brought to than any other hostage, and her name is Monica. We'll definitely break down her character a little bit more later, but basically she tries to get a phone to help these hostages and get themselves out of the situation, a perfectly reasonable decision that anybody would make. And as punishment, uh, Berlin, our leader, and I'll break down Berlin next here, he basically orders Denver to kill her. And I think that's a crazy move on on Berlin's part. It's so early in the heist to be falling apart like this. Like they're in their first day, maybe on day two at this point. And he orders uh, Denver to kill her. Um, And this is where you see that Denver's really a softie. You see him really gassing himself up to pull the trigger. He, He, on paper, he's not uncomfortable making this decision. He feels like he's hard enough to kind of pull this trigger but at, when he goes to do it, he just cannot do it. He, there's just too much humanity there. And and the actor for Denver really knocks it out of the park here. I think that this is one of his strongest scenes. And he gets a lot of emotional weighty scenes throughout the season. But this one is such a strong one to see his character. You see him really, you know, puffing up his chest and breathing really hard to, to make this decision. And the, the turmoil in his face and the humanity that he wrestles with throughout that scene there's, there's just a lot there, and he did a lot to communicate that just on his face. What we get for the rest of the season for this character is a de facto love story between him and Monica. It's The lines are certainly blurred because it's hard to tell as a viewer, are you witnessing a perverted Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome type situation happening, or is their connection actually genuine? I'm definitely kind of leaning towards the former, but seeing their little spark turn into a really strong connection is really nice. So in the middle episodes, you're seeing just a lot of tension build between the two of them. Because So basically, he didn't, he didn't kill her. He ends up shooting her in the leg as like a de facto way of getting out of the situation so that he can convince Berlin that he killed her, and then maybe he can just hide her in the meantime and kind of save her life. Uh, we see him and Moscow work together to remove the bullet, which is really awesome. And you see that being a really chaotic, uh, overwhelming situation, but they end up saving her life. And then they end up just keeping her in a vault, kind of hitting away so they can overall just avoid the situation. Of course, Denver ends up becoming close to her because he has to keep an eye on her, make sure she doesn't escape, make sure she's okay, doesn't bleed out. The added layer to this is that she is also pregnant and she is debating wrestling with getting an abortion this entire time. So there's there's a lot of uh, moving factors here at play. But what we see happening between the two characters is what is definitely a genuine connection, certainly an attraction. And when they embrace, they end up just hooking up and end up having sex. The sex scene between them is super passionate and honestly stomps on anything we see between Rio and Tokyo. Some characters I'll definitely get into more later on. There's a lot of characters in the show. Really a lot. I'm really just realizing that as I'm going through this list. But uh, it, it, it's nice to see he's def- his connection he has with her is very rose-colored uh, through rose-colored lenses. 
uh, we see a nice little mono, uh, monologue from him to her towards the end of the series where they're basically dating now. And he, he talks about how, you know, here on, on the inside, in the inside of the royal mint for this heist, time is meaningless. And, and it's honestly a very romantic scene, this whole monologue he delivers, how uh, 20, 24 hours ago, you were just going to work. And then 24 hours after that, you were a hostage. Then you found out you were pregnant. And then we had sex. And now we have this connection all in these 60 hours. Give me 24 and I, might, I just might propose to you. I, I thought it was really sweet, and I, I it delivered for me in terms of the romance. So that's pretty much where we leave his plot by the end of it. Uh, we start focusing on larger things. So for season two, that's like a plot that we're going to have to pick up a little bit down the line. But he really brings the heart and emotion for the series. Bringing some diversity to the team, we have Oslo and Helsinki. They are Serbian, and they act as the muscle for the team. They're very stoic. They don't talk much, um, and but they bring a lot of charm and humor to the group. Helsinki does end up getting attacked by some hostages later on in the series, and that brings a lot of painful emotion to Oslo. You can see that they're best friends. I'm pretty sure they're cousins. They're family to some degree, but the, you see his his partner in crime. This is his life partner. They've done every crime together. They've They've spent time in prison together, and they grew up together. And when you see one is essentially out of the commission, he's not dead at this point. I don't know if there's any light at the end of the tunnel for him to recover from his injury. But at this, at the end of the series, he's basically like a potato. He's a vegetable and he's unresponsive. He's breathing, but he's unresponsive. So uh, we don't get much from those characters throughout the series. They're mainly used as to break the tension or for a little bit of levity in the scene or just when you need a little bit of muscle to keep the plot moving. But we do get the emotion that they bring at the climax of that interaction. I think it comes in at episode 10. Definitely hit. And uh, it enriches Oslo's character. I'm hoping that we get more of his point of view. He's mainly just like a bodyguard or a henchman at this point and just goes along with whatever Berlin says. But I hope that we get some more autonomy from that character and just elevate him a little bit. And if Helsinki comes back, I hope he gets the same treatment. At this point, they're really just the same character, though, so getting rid of Helsinki doesn't do anything except for elevate Oslo's character a little bit, so maybe he can become more of a main player at this point. So Berlin is a character that I just couldn't help but mention a couple times just talking about the other characters because of how impactful he is to the overall story and how, how much of an important piece he is. So Berlin is the leader of the heist. He's in charge. Now, he's not really in charge because the professor is the one who makes the plan. He still reports to the professor, but the professor isn't present at the heist. He's the guy in the chair that's taking care of things behind the scenes, but he's not present at the physical heist. So you need somebody who's in charge for, you know, when things go awry, there has to be somebody who makes a call. And Berlin is the one who's selected for that. It's a bit of a weird choice for me because Berlin is so obviously a sociopath <laughs> He is very charming and he's very manipulative, so he, he is an effective choice, especially early on. You see that he is very effective at kind of controlling the room with these hostages and remaining calm and always kind of controlling the narrative, let's say. And the the actor for him does a great job. He's very chilling and he's he walks in this anti-hero light. He's not necessarily a villain, but he can definitely make a lot of villainous choices when he's under pressure. And he just doesn't always make that right call. But you get you get more development for his character. You find out that he's on borrowed time. He has 
uh, a very uh, a unique disease where he essentially only has six months to live, or even less perhaps, and he's just get he's just living day to day on um, this medication that he takes. So that's an interesting layer to him to show that his stakes are a little bit different than everyone. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a detail I missed. Um, I might have to go check in on this by the end of the episode here. But I don't know what his motivation is. I know that he is motivated by money, and he even mentions that a few times that he needs this money too. But if he's on, if he only has X amount of time to live, I'm not quite sure what the point is for him. Perhaps he just wants to do something thrilling, and this is you know going to be life affirming for him. I'm not quite sure. He he definitely is coming into it with a different set of circumstances than everybody else. However, once his identity is revealed to the police who are negotiating the situation, trying to get a handle of things, um, we we see that we start to explore the fact that he is kind of a sociopath and he's cut off from these emotions. He ends up essentially adopting one of the hostages as his personal plaything. I it I don't think that they actually end up hooking up in season one, but there's a lot of weird tension built around them. And I have to qu- take a quick detour to this character. The actor for the female that he plays off of is doing such an amazing job, and she barely has any speaking lines. It's just what she communicates in her face. And what, what I mean by that is that she's perfectly neutral. <laughs> like, I cannot tell where she's leaning. Is she falling in love with him? Is she planning to slit his throat when she gets a chance is it stockholm syndrome i really cannot tell just looking at her face she's just wide-eyed and there's a lot of different emotions that are being conveyed there but overall it just finds itself dead neutral because all these different emotions fight with each other you don't know where it lands and so i just think she's doing a really good job i have no idea where her headspace is and they're just doing a great job of dangling her in front of me there as far as Berlin's story where we leave off, he's slowly but surely kind of unwinding a little bit and going a little mad with power. He's more and more becoming a character that I don't know if I can trust. And we see him put his gun to all of our characters' heads. And so we we don't know quite where we're going to land with him. Right now, he's kind of approaching his own antagonistic threat. He's becoming his own player, kind of separate from everybody else. So interested to see how that progresses for season two. All right, and I'm going to speed run the rest of this, guys. Let's go. Rio and Tokyo. I'm putting these two together because they are lovebirds. Tokyo is the point of view that we actually get open to at the beginning. And throughout the season, we check in with her for some narration. She makes for a great narrator. She's a lot of fun. And essentially, the relationship that's happening between Tokyo and Rio, they met in the planning stages of this heist and instantly had a connection. Now, the detail that they give us here is that they're like 13 years apart. I mean, I guess if you say they are, I'll believe it, but Tokyo looks even younger than Rio does. Like, (laughs) now this is no no slap at the actress because she's nailing it. She's really knocking it out of the park. She's totally a badass, and she, as as small in frame as she is, she she brings to light that she can, she's not a force to be reckoned with, or she is a force to be reckoned with. You don't want to mess around with Tokyo. She's a total badass. But I just don't buy that those characters are that far apart in age. She doesn't bring that age to her portrayal. She actually plays as a 20-something, in my opinion. And I just don't believe that she's supposed to be way beyond him in years, you know? Uh, I don't know. Just a small critique, but I, that, that part just misses for me. The chemistry between the two characters is certainly there, though. Uh, Rio is, like, 19 years old, 18 years old. I'm not quite sure. And he's basically a master hacker. Uh, that's that's what he brings to the team is he's able to you know 
break into these data systems and use technology to their advantage. And he's a cool character. You, he's really the innocent one of the group. He just kind of, kind of fall, finds himself caught up in the situation. I think if it weren't for his personal relationship with Tokyo, that they, that he wouldn't be in the situation anymore. Uh, I think he would have left by now before the heist even started because it's kind of a bit over his head. But because he has such these strong emotions for her, that's why he sticks around. And there's kind of a forbidden romance thing going on with them. Overall, I do like their connection, and I do buy it. However, if I did have a critique of the season, I feel it's that they just kind of dangle it in front of us the whole time. It's a classic will they, won't they. They kind of go back and forth. He's like, you know, I'm no good for you. Oh, you're good for me. I love you, but our connection's so strong. And they kind of just dance between that whole conversation throughout the season. And so it does get a little old. Like, I don't need that. I, I don't dislike their connection overall, but they play it out a bit too much for me. The Professor is the most interesting character that this show has to offer. Now, we get the narration is from Tokyo's point of view, but we're living in the Professor's world here. He has calculated every single step of this plan, and it's even implied that he's been working on this plan forever, like for years and years and years. And what's really impressive is while... So we have tension in this show, right? Tension is there, so there's high stakes. You don't know how these situations are going to play out. And we're, we as the audience are getting information just step by step at a time. However, they still convey fully that the professor had this all planned out. He has thought of every contingency, every possible play that the police can make, that the hostages can make, and that, that the captors can make. He so well has thought about all the different personalities and all the different factors at play. And watching him navigate everything from his chair, completely away from the heist, it feels like you're watching a superhero at work. He definitely channels Batman energy. I mean, he literally has his own little Batcave. It's very similar, actually, just a big warehouse with his different little things he has going on for his goals. And you even see him, you know, hitting the punching bag a little bit and doing a little bit of training (laughs) towards the end of the season. He's just a super cool character. And even just having him behind the desk and calling the shots, watching the camera do his thing that way, that works a lot. But then when you get him out of the chair where he really starts to interact with the inspector, we're going over the inspector next, don't worry, is really where you get to see his character shine. This man is a straight up spy out of Mission Impossible, 007, Batman. He he deserves to be up there with all those characters. Um, there's a few, If I were to critique his character a little bit, it'd be that he's, a, he's played up a little too much sometimes and it's a little dorky. But overall, I'm here for it. His delivery is good, and they give that actor a shit ton to work with. So he he's the coolest character, and he makes the strongest impact on the series for sure. Of course, you can't talk about the professor without talking about the inspector. The inspector, her name is Raquel, but she is the lead investigator negotiator on the situation for this hostage scenario. So she exists completely on the flip side of the professor as it, as it pertains to this entire story. Watching them negotiate back and forth is like watching a dance. There's even a lot of music that they put under those scenes to underline that point that they're dancing. And what you're seeing here is two masters. When I see the two of these characters play off each other, even just in the conversations and in the in the planning that happens right before and after the conversation, you see the inspector talk to her entire entire room of 
police officers that are helping her in this negotiation. And then you see it cuts over to the professor as he is unpacking what she just communicated to him. And it kind of feels if you've watched Death Note before, this is a classic uh, struggle between geniuses, just like Light Yagami and L in that respective series. And watching them do it is just a lot of fun. It's a it's it is a dance. And then so that relationship is strong. They're professor to the inspector. But then what we get on the side is the professor slowly inserts himself into the inspector's life in in his real form. So this is Sergio, but he presents himself as Salma. That's his name. And he very tactfully uh, just places himself around Raquel, the inspector. Her name is Raquel, like I said, around her in her normal life to try to get close to her. And this works masterfully. So not only do they have that intense chemistry over the phone as the inspector and the professor, but Salma and Raquel's relationship is quite beautiful to watch. And I know that the they something they don't explore from the professor's point of view is what is his actual emotions towards her. We definitely can see a connection between them as they're interacting. But is this the professor just being cold and calculated and controlling everything to the best visibility? Or is he also getting caught up in some emotions here? I think the latter is definitely happening, and that's definitely the more interesting uh, route to take. But by the end of the season, they're literally like having sex, and she, he's coming over to her house, she's coming over to his house. So you're seeing you're seeing this really deepen. And I'm narratively speaking, I mean, she has to find out at some point, and whenever that does happen, I think that uh, a lot is going to come down. Like a storm is really going to hit when that once that information is actually revealed to Raquel. Overall, the interaction between the two of them brings the most dramatic notes throughout the series and is is delivers the most tense scenes as well. As the as the plot increases, you're seeing constant times where she gets a lead and she almost gets ahead of them, but then the professor goes out of his way because he predicted this and he just gets by and he's always just one step ahead of her. And you're seeing him execute problem solving in real time like he, he hears a little information from her, sees where she's going to take that, and then he gets right ahead of it. Most notably, the, the car lot scene was really great way to display how desperately this man will go to accomplish all of his goals as he's just sitting there rubbing shit and dirt all over into his face so that way he can be just a homeless person walking by. He's just really impressive, and again, he's like Batman. <laughs> So the third point of view I have to switch over to, so, so so far we've seen our heist crew, including the professor and all the different city people that are helping out this mission. And then we have uh, the inspector, Raquel, and her, her group of different uh, police workers that are helping her along. But then the third point of view is actually from the hostages. And it's really awesome that the show has so many different points of view going on. I mean, not only within the heist, there's three points of views just from the heist crew, the police, and then the hostages, right? But not only that, I mean, within the heist crew, each person has their own motivating factors happening and their own reasons for acting the way they do, their own motivations and their own goals. And they each have autonomy in this place. That's that's the same thing happening with the hostages as well. And I'm going to highlight just a few here that are really the major players. Monica, I already mentioned, uh, when we get introduced to her, she works at the bank and she's actually pregnant. The person who impregnated her is also a hostage who also works at the bank, and he gets a lot of light, almost more than anybody else, honestly, um, especially in the first half. But he is the immediate contrarian of all the hostages. He's the first to speak up against the captors, and he's kind of always thinking of a side plan. 
he actually is responsible for the group of hostages that do escape and end up fatally hurting Helsinki. So he certainly, you don't want to sleep on him. I'm sure that he's going to make a big move down the line. And we see him attempting a lot of big moves, but he's just as tactful as anybody else is in this, is in the series because what he's really good at is getting other people to do his dirty work for him. He finds these different hostages and desperately tells them that they need to do this. You got to do this. Everyone's everyone's fate is in your hands. But each thing that he is manipulating them to do is certainly something he could do himself. He's a bit of a scumbag in the sense that he's caught between two relationships. He has his wife that he has multiple children with, and then he has his assistant that he just found out is pregnant that he also has pregnant, or excuse me, he also has feelings for. So an interesting little dynamic there. Uh, I don't really care for him as a character, but the for- the threat that he brings to the table is certainly noted, and he-, he creates for a good foil at times to the overall situation that's happening. The last hostage character I think that's really worth noting here is Allison Parker. She's kind of the whole, she's pivotal to the entire situation here. She's their little lamb, and she's the prime minister's daughter. She's the main reason why the police can't just come in bl- guns a-blazing because if they were to, if if her life was sacrificed in the process, it would mean all-out war for their entire country. So she's really the centerpiece that that creates that creates the stakes the way they are. Without her, a lot of the heist really falls apart. One character I forgot to talk about when talking about the inspector is Angel Rubio. This is essentially the inspector's partner. Uh, they have clearly done a lot of work together in the past and have a strong history. It's implied that there was a uh, moment lapse where they did get romantically involved at some point, but that Raquel really uh, regretted it. However, Angel is certainly still hung up on it. We see that he does have drinking problems, and when he is drunk, he tends to put his foot in his mouth and kind of profess his love to Raquel. So we see that happen, and we see his bitterness kind of growing over the situation. And this all comes to a head on one night where he's drinking and driving a lot but in that frenzy, he actually figures it out. He figures out what nobody else can. And I do have to give him credit because he is a really good detective. We see him make a lot of good calls when he's still on the board. Um, and he he's actually able to figure out that Salma is the professor before anybody else is. Super impressive. Um, but then we get this dramatic scene, super dramatic, a bit too dramatic for my taste, honestly, where he's he's driving, you see him getting progressively more drunk, and you know where this is going. And he's just leaving all these gut-wrenching voicemails on the inspector's phone. And when she actually hears those back, hears those, <clears throat> when she gets a chance to hear those messages back to her and realize that these were the messages he was laying out right before he crashed and gotten put into a coma, the emotion that goes all over her is just terrible. He's calling her a bitch. He's saying, this is your fault. You're going to ruin my life. Seeing all that weigh down on her, especially in the wake of her divorce where there was an abusive husband and the pressure of the situation, the inspector's going through a lot. She's under more pressure than potentially anyone here. I guess her life isn't at stake as much as everybody else's at the moment, but she, in terms of just trauma, she's going through it right now for sure. Of course, there's many steps along the heist that go up and down. There's a lot of different chapters to it, but if I were to break down all the cool twists, again, I'd be here all day. So I'm just going to jump towards the very end here and pick up with the plot where the professor realizes that there's some information out there. Uh, Because Angel was actually able to leave a voicemail on Raquel's phone, 
it's intercepted by her forgetful mother who takes notes and knows that she needs to update Raquel. This information ends up getting passed to Salma, which incites him to do something he never thought he would have to do, which is actually go kill Raquel's mother. At this point, he knows that she has the information that about him. He knows that the mother doesn't know that him is him, so she knows that somebody is that the that the information for the who the professor is out there. She hasn't connected that that person is Salma specifically. So, basically, for the first time ever, something unpredicted has happened for him, and he finds himself at his wit's end. And it, he feels like the only thing to do is to kill the mother, so that way that information can't get out. Of course. The heartbreaking matter of this is at this point, he has just slept with the inspector. So he's talking about killing the mother of the person he's been dating and has now slept with. And for the inspector, you know that that's a big emotional commitment for her. And not only that, but her best friend and partner just got crashed into a coma and she's in the middle of this high stakes situation. So if he was to actually pull through with this, it would be damning to the lead investigator's potential to take him down like it would definitely be the strongest move possible however it would it would sacrifice the integrity of the professor and you see him really wrestle with that the scene where he enters the mother's home or Raquel's home where the mother's residing uh at first it's played a little bit uh light-hearted you know he's he goes hello it's just me it's a little funny the way that he just shows up there but when she invites him into the house and the second he he fully enters and that door shuts behind him you see his eyes start darting around to the top corners of the room. And as soon as they do that, this high-intensity music starts playing, and it becomes the backdrop for the entire scene that follows that's super tense and heavy. When he's darting up into the corners, I think he's checking for cameras. He's immediately in mission mode. How am I going to pull this off? He's looking around him, looking for places to escape, all that good stuff. This guy is a very powerful character. His plan was essentially to poison her, which really would have worked. He successfully ends up putting the poison in her drink. However, his sense of morality comes in at the very last second, and he slaps a drink out of her hand. Uh, Because she has, like, dementia, she doesn't even really pick up on this. She thinks that she must have just dropped it. It's a little silly, but it does work. And and in that moment, he he realizes that she has this dementia, and he finds the note that she had left for herself to remember and disposes of it himself. Masterful move, very well done. I think that this kind of saves his own ass and saves him from becoming a character that we can't quite root for anymore as the good guy. Soon thereafter, the inspector ends up linking up at the house as well. He plays it off as he was just waiting here to surprise her, and they go for a drive. Now, what ends up happening is uh, she ends up having to have Salma take her to the scene of this crime and the scene of this crime is the place where the professor has been training up for this heist all along it's that's where the whole group just spent five months and this is basically where the season crescendos towards an end is pulling up to this place and realizing that all this evidence is there um and that's pretty much it that's where we leave off we don't know what's going to happen next we know that he's been out of his chair for a long time now and in his absence the hostages have taken over not taken over but they were managed to to take to have an escape and he's absent again and he just finds himself deep in the situation so we that's where the season leaves off i think it's a bit of a weird spot to leave off it doesn't have any closure i thought that there'd be more of a specific incident or you know they won or they lost at the end of season one but 
it seems like going into season two, we're going to be still continuing along the same heist. If I were to have any critique along this point, it's going to be the pacing. And it's not that in the world of it, I don't notice how slow time is moving in the world of it while I'm watching. But the show constantly is reminding you where we are along the heist with a quick free shot and what hour we are into the heist. And by the end of the season, I think we're only on hour 60. So we're like pushing three days here. And it's not that I hate that. It's not that that's not that's not a reasonable time frame for us to be at at this point. It's that after 13 episodes, each an hour long, it does kind of hurt to know that going into season two, we're still only on our third day of this heist, which we don't even know how long that this can go on for. So that that does bother me a little bit. But honestly, if they didn't remind me of the hour so often, it wouldn't take me out of it as much. I wouldn't even notice the weird pacing. So just a small critique on that end. But yeah, that's just about going to bring our conversation to a close here. I know that there was a lot that I didn't cover. Again, there's just so much that happens in this series that it would be impossible to break it all down. But no, to, uh, some characters I want to bring to the light is that make a really strong impression is definitely Tokyo, definitely Berlin. They're certainly the, made, the biggest players at play as far as the heist crew goes that's on the inside. Obviously, the professor steals the scene and the dynamic Excuse me, he steals the entire show, not just any scene. The professor is like the coolest character here. And the dynamic between him and the inspector is really awesome and is certainly a big reason why the show is as cool as it is. And I have to speak to just the overall tone of the show. It takes itself seriously. It does also have a bit of humor in it. But more than anything, it's got style. And I I would say in any other series trying to pull this off you look at their ragtag group and it's so basic you know you get you got the nerd guy you got the muscle you got the wild card you got the heartthrob you got all these pieces that you'd find in any other story and even the names tokyo denver it's a little cliche but yeah it just works the show is just so cool and it has such its own swagger that you can't help but just love everything you're seeing in it and that that's what i gotta give the show credit for there's a lot of things that on paper would never work for me in a show like this but for some reason, it just works, and <laughs> I just got to give this show a lot of credit for it. I see why this show is as popular as it is now. I totally get it. Uh, it's hard to see where the show's going to go. I know that we have five seasons total, so I'm only one-fifth of the way through this story, and so much has happened already in season one that it's hard to see where we're going to go. Is this heist going to be five seasons long? I certainly hope not. I hope that there's going to be, you know, I hope that this heist actually ends and we I, don't, I just don't know. I have no idea where this show is going to go, and yet I'm so here for it. Um, I'm going to be sprinting through season two, so you can look for next week to see uh, the next episode out uh, covering season two. If I go fast enough, I might just do season two and three together, but we'll see. But yeah, if you made it this far into the review, thank you so much for giving it a listen. What did I forget? Reach out to me. Let me know what I, I forgot to talk about, and I'll, I'll tack that on to the beginning of the next review. My email is thedshow at gmail.com. That is T-H-D, excuse me, T-H-E-D-S-H-O-W show at gmail.com. Email me. Let me know what you think. Again, I appreciate you giving this show a listen. Definitely follow, subscribe, follow my Instagram, the Darius Show Pod, uh, and let your friends know. Come on, help me out here, guys. (laughs) But yeah. Uh, that is that has been me as always. Check me out for my next episode, guys. And thank you so much. I love you.